You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 47, Chris Wark, how he beat colon cancer by radically transforming his diet and lifestyle. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees when you're having dinner with me. Broccoli. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, food for life cooking instructor, health and wellness coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you keep coming back as a regular listener. You can find more of my work, including health and wellness videos, at VeggieFit Kids on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Are you ready to get started? Hello, veggie lovers. Happy Sunday and welcome back. I hope you had an amazing week and that you are eating your veggies as usual. Today, I have a very interesting guest. And we're going to talk about a topic that we haven't talked a lot about on Veggie Doctor Radio. But before I go into more about Chris and his background, I do want to just put out there, we're going to be talking about cancer. Cancer, the C word, it, it brings up so much emotion. And this is just for some reason, one of those dis diseases, one of those conditions that we're really afraid of. But I feel like, especially in the health, the area of um, health and healthcare, a lot of people may feel shame and blame when it comes to getting cancer, dealing with cancer, those kinds of things. So before we even get started, I want you to just release all of that. If you've been diagnosed with cancer, if somebody you love has been diagnosed with cancer, um, you know, from now on, let's just do the best we can, feel the best we can, and, and, and try to make choices that help us feel better um, instead of going into any blaming or shaming um, or any of that. It's not, it's not very productive, and this isn't the point of this interview and this conversation. I think that this is going to be really helpful for a lot of people just to hear a different perspective. Some people may be skeptical. They may be dubious. And I get you, I've been there before, but after hearing story after story after story, um, like Chris's, now I know that diet and lifestyle is very powerful. And it's not just diet. Diet's really important, but it's not just diet. So I hope that you'll listen to the whole recording and hear what Chris has to say about some of the things that he changed in his life so that he could heal from colon cancer. Chris Wark was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in 2003 at 26 years old. After surgery, he opted out of chemotherapy and used nutrition and natural therapies to heal. He began sharing his story in 2010 with a mission to inspire people to take control of their health and reverse disease by radically transforming their diet and lifestyle. 
Chris reaches millions of people per year as a blogger, podcaster, speaker, and global health coach through his social media channels and his website, chrisbeatcancer.com. His book, Chris Beat Cancer, A Comprehensive Plan for Healing Naturally, it has been published by Hay House this past September, so you can go out and get it. We did record this episode before it was out, so you'll hear us talking about the book before it was published, but now it is published, and you can get yourself a copy and visit his website. He has interviews from other people that have healed from cancer naturally. If you currently have cancer, do not fire your physician. Talk to your physician and work with them. Um, I am a physician myself, so I always hesitate to bring stories like this because I do want people to work with their healthcare providers and, again, um, just do the best you can to feel good and to make choices that are right for you. I really hope that you enjoy this episode. If you do, please share it. Please tell other people about Veggie Doctor Radio if you feel like they could benefit from it. Thanks for listening, guys, and I will see you next time right here on Veggie Doctor Radio. Now on to the interview. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees when you're having dinner with me. Broccoli. Chris Wark, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm so excited about your book that's coming out this month. Is that correct? Yeah. Chris Beat Cancer, Comprehensive Plan for Healing Naturally. It has been 15 years in the making because you yourself have experienced cancer. So can you tell my listeners about your story and what has brought you to where you are now? Yeah, thanks so much. And here it is. There. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> There's the book. There's the book. So um, yeah, the... Um, Comes out on Hay House on September 25th. Um, and uh, so, I, yeah, my story is kind of a crazy one. I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer when I was 26. And, you know, I was having abdominal pain, thought I had an ulcer, had multiple doctor's appointments, and they couldn't really figure out what was wrong. And so they sent me to get a colonoscopy. And the, the gastroenterologist found a golf ball-sized tumor in my large intestine on the ascending colon, which is the right side. And I came out of, you know, came out of the anesthesia and they said, man, you know, you've got, we're sorry, but you have a, a golf ball sized tumor and um, we don't, it could be colon cancer and we're going to send this biopsy to the lab. So a day or so later, I got a phone call and they said, sorry, again, it's, you do have colon cancer. And we need to get you into surgery right away to, you know, get this thing out of you before it spreads and kills you. And I was a very typical cancer patient. Uh, like most patients, when they, they're diagnosed, they're very, they're clueless. They have no idea what's happening to them. They don't understand why they're sick. They don't know anything about cancer. I didn't. And I've never had any friends or family members go through it. I've never, never seen anybody go through it firsthand. Um, and so I was just like, okay, I guess I got to have surgery now. You know, it's, there's a, it's a whirlwind that happens when you're diagnosed. And so they wanted to get me in surgery right away. Like within a couple of days, this was two days before Christmas. 
I mean, they were trying to get me into surgery right away. And I was like, can we just, can I at least not be in the hospital on Christmas? <laughs> I mean, that's depressing enough. So we postponed it to December 30th. I went in, they cut out a third of my, of my large intestine. They took the tumor out during the surgery, which was supposed to be laparoscopic. Uh, they realized it was a lot worse than they thought. And they, they saw, um, the surgeon saw some very ugly lymph nodes and, uh, took out a bunch of lymph nodes, cut me open all the way. And, um, you know, just basically said, I, I, you know, we we removed everything we could see to try to get clear margins. And so I woke up from the surgery with bad news. Hey, uh, we thought you were stage two, but you're stage three C and your next step is nine to 12 months of chemotherapy. So at that point, I'm just like, Oh man, you know, I hadn't even thought about chemotherapy because they were you know, they all felt like, oh, you're probably not going to need chemo. Just have the surgery. You'll be fine. And then you can go back to, back to your normal life. But uh, now I'm thinking about, oh, what's it going to be like being a chemo patient? Like I've seen chemo patients in the world and it's pr- kind of scary. I'd seen some people in the world who were emaciated, bald, like, you know, their, their face was sunken in, their skin was yellow. They had you know, a mask over their mouth. And I mean, it's scary, right? The first time you see someone in that condition, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine what they must be going through. And then I thought, it's just that going to be me, right? Am I going to be that guy walking around that everybody stares at and says, oh, I can't, I, I feel so sorry for this person, you know? So, and I, I mean, I just, at that moment, you know, in the hospital, I just was like, uh, this is my life now, I guess. I'm the 26-year-old cancer patient. Um, a couple of things happened in the hospital that got me thinking a little differently. First thing that happened was the very first meal that they served me after cutting out a third of my large intestine. Did we talk about this? Mm-mm. Do you want to guess what the first meal they served me after cutting out a third of my large intestine was? I would say like either a hamburger or ham and cheese or something like that. That's very typical. Hospital. Good guess. It's a good guess. <laughs> it was it was uh, beef. It was beef, but it was a sloppy Joe. Oh my gosh. <laughs> sloppy Joe. You know, it's like the sloppy Joe is is a very a very special food item. What most people don't realize about the sloppy Joe is you can't get a sloppy Joe in a restaurant. They don't serve them because nobody likes them. And the only place you can get a sloppy Joe is at summer camp. You know, if you're in the military, maybe prison. (laughs) And apparently in the hospital, hospital, (laughs) if you have cancer. So, or, you know, whatever, whatever you're in the hospital for sloppy Joe's on the menu today, everybody's getting sloppy Joe's, but yeah, they get, you know, they put this thing in front of me on the tray and I'm on some heavy pain medication. I mean, really heavy medication because I just come out of surgery and I just remember looking at it going, what, like, why are they serving this to sick people? And of course I, I was hungry. I ate some of it or all of it. I don't even remember, but um, but it made an impression, obviously. Then a few days later, I was recovering well, and the surgeon came in to check on me. It was they were gonna let me go home. And he had, you know, he just came in the room, we were having a conversation, and I I was 
concerned and wanted to take care of myself, right? I think instinctively, I wanted to take care of myself. And so I said, you know, is, is there any food I need to eat or avoid? And because again, I want to just help my, my body heal, right? I didn't want to eat the wrong thing and screw it up. Like, you know, I don't know if he was going to say like, oh yeah, don't drink Dr. Pepper. Like it'll dissolve the stitches or, you know, or stay away from hot sauce or, I, you know, I just didn't know what he would say. And he, this is what he says. He says, no, just don't lift anything heavier than a beer. Wow. That was, it. that was all the nutritional advice I got from my abdominal surgeon, a guy who I thought would maybe have some opinion or expertise in gut health. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but apparently not. He's just cutting people's guts out every day and just sending them on their way. So, um, that was weird, right? Went home. I was uh, recovering from surgery. You know, the first few days, most of it was was a blur because I was taking pain medication. But as I started to sober up, and I really instinctively wanted to get off the pain meds, I just didn't like that feeling. Um, and I'm thinking about my life and my future and, and chemotherapy and and you know this the idea of poisoning my way back to health didn't make sense to me. And I just, I just had this internal resistance to it. Not to say it's not right for some people, right? Everybody has to make their own choices about their treatment. But I knew, like in my core, I knew how weak and vulnerable I was. And I just felt like it would just destroy me. And so I had this conflict. I was, you know, my intuition was saying, you know, it's not for you. Don't do it. But I didn't know what else to do. And my wife and I prayed about it. And I was just like, God, if there's another way besides chemotherapy, please show me. Just, I, I don't know what to do. This doesn't feel right. I, 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 help, <laughs> right? And two days later, I got a book that was sent to me from a man who knew my dad. And this guy sends me this book. I start reading it. And it was written by another guy who was diagnosed with colon cancer in the 1970s. And he was a former pastor and... I uh, had watched his mother suffer and die through cancer treatment and felt like chemo was really what killed her and not the cancer. He had seen a lot of church members suffer and die through cancer treatment. And then he got colon cancer and he was like, well, man, I'm not doing that. And he happened to have a, a friend who was like a health nut kind of buddy. And, sit, and his friend said, you need to go back to the Garden of Eden and just eat raw fruits and vegetables straight to nature, right? And you should probably start juicing carrots too. So that, this guy, that's what he did. His, his name is George Malcolmus. So that's what he did. And then uh, as I'm reading his story, you know, I learned that about a year later, no tumor, no surgery, no chemo, no radiation. His body healed, right? His body healed. It's not like about a cancer cure, magic bullet kind of thing, but he radically changed the way he was living his life, starting with nutrition and his body healed. And so this idea that, well, wait a second, the body created cancer, maybe the body can heal it. And that was a huge light bulb for me. I mean, I was like, whoa, wait a second, wait a second. If, if this guy healed his cancer, maybe I can heal my cancer. And maybe it's not bad luck or genetic. Maybe I'm sick because of the way I've been living my life. Maybe the way I'm living is killing me. And if, if so then maybe I can make changes that will empower my body to heal. 
And I got really excited about that idea. Like really excited about it. It made so much sense to me. And I'm, you know, I'm reading this guy's book. He's talking about raw foods and juicing and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I love this idea. I'd never even heard of the raw food diet in 2004. It wasn't a thing. Like, you know, it wasn't cool or hip or trendy. Uh, and it was very fringe, right? It was fringe kind of weirdo diet. <laughs> but I loved the idea. I loved the purity and simplicity of just going back to nature, eating whole foods, organic, you know, just in their, their most pure state, unadulterated state. And, and so I just overnight, it was like, I mean, it wasn't even overnight. It was just instantaneous. I just said, this is what I'm doing. I prayed, I asked for something, this showed up. Like it's, I, there's no way this is a coincidence. And this is what I'm going to do. So I called my wife. I was really excited about it. I was trying, you know, telling her about, I got this book and this guy had colon cancer and he's, and where can we got to get a juicer? And she thought I lost my mind. And, uh, (laughs) and then other family members start calling and trying to talk me out of it. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you can't, don't do, you can't do that. You know, I know somebody that tried alternative therapy and they died right? And don't you think if there was something better, the doctors would know about it? And I'm like, I don't know how to answer these questions. Like, I haven't even finished the book. (laughs) And so all of a sudden, I had this pressure from people around me that were opposing me. And it was like, completely took me by surprise. And was, it produced a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm a lot of anxiety and stress and like, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, if everybody thinks I'm losing my mind, everybody thinks I'm crazy. And this makes the most sense to me than of anything I've thought about or read. And of course I was thinking about not doing chemotherapy, right? I was thinking about this is, I want to see what happens if I radically change my diet and my lifestyle, right? And chemotherapy is, is always going to be there. It's not going anywhere. And I kind of felt like, well, that's, you know, that's, that's a last resort. Like I can always go do chemotherapy, but people around me didn't see it that way. And so, uh, so I realized if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. And that was really tough. There wasn't Facebook, YouTube, social media. None of that existed in 2004. Most of us have forgotten. There was no YouTube in 2004. There weren't videos of people talking about healing cancer and, you know, they didn't exist on the internet. And so I only had a handful of books. Well, the crazy thing was, so I told my mom about this book and like what I was thinking about doing. And my mom's always been a health nut. And my mom said, oh yeah, no, I think, I think that would be good. I think that's a good idea. And I've got some other books you should, you should look at. My mom had this library of books on nutrition, raw foods, natural healing, alternative cancer therapies. Like it was crazy. She had read and collected all of these books for since the 1970s. Wow. She had books by the original books by Paul Bragg, book The Original Miracle of Rebounding by Al Carter. She had books, she had Pablo Ariola. I mean, all of these, you know, early, you know leaders in, in health and healing, natural health and healing and nutrition, raw food, all this kind of stuff. And so she was the first person that supported me when everybody else thought I was crazy. And again, not to make my other family members look bad or my wife look bad. They love me. 
right? They love me and they wanted me to live, but they just didn't understand, right? They didn't have the revelation that I had that I had to change my whole life because the way I was living was killing me. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know, I say this often to cancer patients and a lot of them, you know, some of them, they get it right away. They instantly understand like, aha, I have a part to play in my life, in my future and in my health. And then, but sometimes they get very defensive, right? And they're, how dare you say this is my fault, right? It's my, no, now you're saying it's my fault that I have cancer, right? And they get negative and angry and bitter, right? When you even suggest that, hey, there's a lot of diet and lifestyle causes of cancer. We know there's all this published science, all this research. What's called, we know what's causing cancer. It's a lot of things, but we know almost all of them. And if you take the time to investigate your life and look, well, how many of these cancer causers are present in my life? And then if they are present, let's get them out of your life so you can enable your body to heal. Like there are things in your life that may have made you sick or maybe keeping you sick. Mm-hmm. And so I went on this just radical health healing adventure where I just started eliminating everything I could find from my life that might've been contributing to my disease. It started with diet. So I converted to a whole foods diet. It was all raw in the beginning, but then I started, I added cooked food about 90 days in, um, was juicing carrots like crazy and beets and celery. I just getting tons of vegetable juice into my body. And I looked at it like this. I was trying to overdose on nutrition. I was just trying to flood my body with as many vitamins, minerals, enzymes, antioxidants, and phytonutrients in plant food as possible. Just put, you know, from whole food sources, right? Whole foods, juices I consider whole, and just get it in there every day, every day, every day, and let my body sort it out, right? Just give it more than it needs, give it abundance, and let it use what it needs, and not worry about the rest. And so that was sort of the key first step I took. I mean, I bought a juicer overnight. I went to the grocery store, you know, the next day, loaded up on fruits and vegetables and, and kind of just, you know, it was like, I'm just going to figure this out. Like I've, I've got to live. I got to survive. I'm not going to wait around. Like I've got to take control of my life and my situation right now. The wake up call happened. Like I'm not going to have my head in the sand about the gravity of my situation. And so it was massive radical action. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's what I took. So in the meantime, I still have all this pressure from family, um, family members to go see the oncologist. And so in order to appease them, I agreed. I said, okay, okay. I'll, yes, fine. I'll go talk, see the oncologist. So my wife and I go to see the oncologist and you know, it's just go to this local cancer clinic, the, the parking lot's packed, the waiting room's full. Like I get in there and look around. Everyone in there is at least twice my age. Some of them are three times my age because I'm 26, 50, 60, 70, 80 year old people in there. And I, there's no 26, there's no 20 somethings in there. And I'm just like, God, I don't belong here. Like, what am I doing here? And we're sitting on the couch waiting to go back and the TV's on. And we're, it's like, you know, Good Morning America or the Today Show or one of those shows, right? And out comes Jack LaLanne. And sorry, somebody just totally barged in on my interview. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> to put something in the office that doesn't need to be here. <laughs> anyway, that's my buddy Clay. Um, so 
out comes Jack Lane on the TV. And he starts going off about nutrition. And he's like, the reason we're all so sick is because we're eating all this processed food, man-made food, junk food. And if man made it, don't eat it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa, man, I can't believe this is on right now while I'm sitting in the cancer clinic. You know, it was like reinforcing this information, these ideas, this message that I'd already received, right? It's like another divine signal. And I turned to my wife, I'm like, can you believe this is on right now? Like, this is, and she was like, it's pretty weird. So we go back to see the oncologist and it was a, you know, he just comes out very sort of gave me the boilerplate standard, you know, doctor pitch, right? He's got my file open. He's like, okay, your name's Chris. You got colon cancer. Uh, It's very aggressive in young adults. And you're going to need nine to 12 months of chemotherapy. We want to give you 5-FU and Leucovorin. And um, you've got about a 60% chance of living five years with treatment. And I'm like, uh, thinking, you know, like 60% chance of living five years, 60% is pretty close to 50%. And that's like a coin toss. So I'm feeling like this is not feeling very inspired, right? Not feeling a whole lot of confidence in the treatments, right? If he had said like, oh, we've got a 98% cure rate or something, I would have been like, oh, sign me up, right? So we're, you know, he's talking some more. And at some point I said, well, you know, what about the raw food diet? I'd been on it for a week and I was feeling really good. And he said, no, you can't do that. It'll fight the chemo, which is kind of weird, right? That's a weird thing to say. I didn't know why. And I should have asked him why I figured out later that they, there's sort of an old idea that cancer patients need to be on a neutropenic diet, which means it's all cooked because they're afraid that because most chemotherapy drugs do such um, are so harmful to the immune system and that they're afraid that you know normally harm uh, harmless bacteria on lettuce right or an apple will somehow present a problem cause a problem in the body because your immune system's shot so anyway that was the reason he didn't want me to do it plus when you're on raw food your body really becomes an aggressive detoxifier and it'll kick the chemo out faster than they, you know, they want it to linger. And so that's another reason. But anyway, so he said that. I thought it was weird. Um, and then I said, well, you know, are there any alternative therapies available? And that, that question completely changed the tone of our conversation. I mean, it's like, it's like he flipped a switch and he became aggressive and arrogant and condescending and said, no, if you don't do chemotherapy, you're insane. And I was like, whoa, you know, like, oh man. And, and the fear just washed over me. And then from there, he just was talking and talking and talking and like just pulling out all the, you know, all the little stuff in his, in his bag to, to try to convince me to do chemotherapy. And I, I wasn't really hearing it. I was kind of like, things just got kind of blurry, you know, because that's what happens when you're afraid. Like when fear and anxiety take over, I mean, you just, everything gets blurry. Your stress hormones are pumping and he's talking down to me and trying to talk me into chemo and basically just saying, if you don't do it, I say you're going to die. 
And at one point in the conversation, he just he said something that both my wife and I both remember, because most of it I don't. But he said, he said, look, I, you know, I'm not saying this because I need your business. And I thought, well, that's weird. I, what is, I wasn't even thinking about business at all, right? I, business, I thought you were, I didn't know you were in, this was a business. Like, you know, I mean, it was like, I just thought you were a, you know, doctor who's a, an angel or something. Are you right? And, oh, it is a business. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And that's a sales technique I used to use called the push away. And he just did the push away on me. That's weird. What is happening right now? And so our conversation concludes and I couldn't wait to get out of there. And, and, but like a robot, I mean, I felt like I'd been programmed. I got up, walked out the door and went to the desk and made an appointment to get a port put in to start chemotherapy in a few weeks. Even though, you know, Jack LaLanne on TV and the weird stuff he said, you know, all that stuff didn't matter because I was so afraid, right? The fear really had taken control and I just made a, a decision out of fear. And then my wife and I walked to her car and sat in her car and cried. And we held hands and prayed and I choked out a prayer and it was, my faith was shattered. I was felt hopeless and confused and just so absolutely terrified about the future. And that's the way most cancer patients feel when they leave the oncologist's office, unfortunately, because so many of them use fear to manipulate and motivate patients to say yes and to make a fear-based decision. And one of the things I, I'm saying all the time to people is do not make a decision out of fear. Mm -hmm. If you're going to make a decision about a treatment that could have potentially life-threatening consequences, it needs to be fact-based decision and a faith-based decision, not a fear-based decision. Because fear-based decisions are almost always the wrong decision. We can all look back in our life and remember decisions we made out of fear and be like, yeah, I wasn't thinking straight. Like It was completely illogical, irrational, emotional decision. And in hindsight, it wasn't a good one. Yeah. So... There I was. I made my appointment to get to start chemo in a few weeks. I go home, and I it was a, it was one of the lowest points in my journey, because everything I thought I was supposed to be doing and was doing, I was told was wrong. I was insane. My family thought I was crazy. The doctor told me I was insane. I had a meeting with the surgeon. He told me I was making a mistake, and. I didn't know what to do. You know, there was no good option. I had two options. Both of them were terrifying. I had the, the, the option everybody else, everybody was doing, which is just get on the chemo train, right? Everybody loves you and supports you and cheers you on. And maybe they'll bake some cookies for you or run a race with the t-shirt with your name on it. Right. But I mean, the suffering starts as soon as you get on the chemo train and there's no guarantee you'll get off at the end of the line, healthy and well, I mean, they might drop you off and say, sorry, like, that's all we can do. And then the other option is, like, is the uh, path into the jungle that you have to go alone and hack your way through in the dark. And everybody says, you're an idiot. Don't, why would you do that? Why would you go that way? 
both options were terrifying. And I, I just wanted so badly for someone to tell me, like, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. I didn't have it. But I, I just knew that that jungle path, like, I knew that was the path I had to take. Mm-hmm. I knew it. I, and I, that's really where I had to put my faith into action. And I just say, okay, God, like you, you kind of illuminated this path. And if this is you and you are showing me this way, you got to see me through it because I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) and I don't have anybody else. I mean, my mom, but you know, (laughs) she's not a doctor or practitioner or anything. She's just likes to read health books. (laughs) And so the day came when I was supposed to start chemotherapy and I woke up that morning and I, and, and, you know, the, as these, as you get closer and closer to the date of a scan or a treatment, the anxiety just builds and builds. And I woke up and I was like, Oh man, I'm not going, not doing it. And I thought that was it. But they weren't going to let me give up so easily. They weren't going to let me get away. So they start calling my house, sending me letters. Like they were, they wanted my business. Eventually they, they left me alone. But what I did when I got home from that first appointment is I, I sought out, I found a naturopath. And that naturopath was the first person to tell me I was making the right decision. And that was huge to me. It was, I mean, no one had told me you're making the right decision besides my mom, but somebody else, like nobody else. And then he referred me to an integrative oncologist, an MD, who had come out of retirement, who had reopened his practice and was integrating IV vitamin C and other non-toxic but non-FDA approved treatments because he just generally wanted to help people get well. He was in his 70s, didn't need the money. He just liked working and wanted to be useful and helpful and help people. And that, that man was just an amazing blessing in my life as well. And so, you know, as soon as I made that decision, like as soon as I stepped out into the unknown, right? Like provision was there for me, Mm. right? People were there to help me. Um, And that's what happens when you step out in faith. Like that's when miracles happen. It's like when you step out of the boat onto the water right? That's when miracles happen. And so I, uh, I just slowly assembled a little support team, a little support system. And that was enough for me. Like I, that's all I needed, right? I just needed a little bit of support. I wanted more, but it wasn't available. (laughs) There was no Facebook groups, Uh, but I went from book to book to book. And it was just like me reading, researching, learning, what can I incorporate? What else can I do? What can I change? And I just examined my whole life. And I just systematically went through just, if you just lay your life on the table and you pick through it, you know, like what is a value and what is not? Mm -hmm. And if it's not a value, it's got to go. And, and that's what I did. And I didn't do it overnight. It was just a process of like investigation, exploration, uh, introspection, and it led me down, I mean, it just led me down so many different paths that um, I, I realized it was not just the diet, right? I mean, I was doing a hardcore diet, obviously plant-based, mostly raw, tons of juicing, working with a naturopath. He had me taking lots of individualized nutraceuticals, supplements, things like that. He was doing hair analysis, stool, urine, saliva, you know, just kind of trying to help uncover any root causes, 
in my body, right? Any deficiencies or infections, parasites, whatever, uh, heavy metals. So I was going down that road. I was exercising, rebounding. I was, um, and then I started thinking about and learning about my, my thought life and my emotional life. And I realized that I was really had gone through life. I would, had been carrying a lot of negativity, insecurities, negativity, stress, jealousy, envy, unforgiveness. And I was just carrying a lot of stuff and a lot of baggage that I needed to deal with. And I think it was, it was part of the reason I was sick. Might've been the main reason. And we, you know, I think one of the biggest missing elements in healthcare is a, is a person's mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, had this wake-up call where I realized I've got to change not only how I eat, right, but the way I think, right? I've got to change my thoughts. I've got to catch myself when I'm thinking critically and j- being judgmental and being negative and beating myself up, Right and holding resentments and grudges, like I can stop this. I can catch myself in those thoughts and I can choose to think differently. I can choose to think positively about a person or a situation instead of negatively. And when you choose to think negatively about something, it raises your stress and your anxiety. And when you're stressed, your stress hormones are elevated in your body. Adrenaline and cortisol are the two everybody's heard of. And those hormones in, uh, increase inflammation, they promote inflammation in the body, and they decrease, suppress immune function. I mean, that's huge. And over time, being stressed, chronically stressed, creates an environment where cancer can thrive in the body. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm learning all these things, I realize, yeah, yeah, I've got to rebuild my body. I've got to create an environment where cancer cannot thrive, create an environment that's what they call in the research community, medical community, that is inhospitable to cancer. And overnight cures, miracle cures, quick fix, you know, magic bullets, they don't do that, right? Even conventional treatments, they don't do that. They don't create an environment that's inhospitable to cancer. Right. Well, when you're when you've got chemo circulating in your blood, that's uh, quote unquote inhospitable to cancer temporarily. Right. But when you're when the chemo's over, your body's a wreck. It's in bad shape. Your your immune system is compromised. Your organs all all have to repair and rebuild, and you've got a lot of collateral damage that your body's got to heal on top of trying to deal with whatever circulating tumor cells are still left over after chemo. So healing takes time. And that's the thing I learned, right? It's a process. It takes time. You didn't get cancer overnight. You're not going to heal it overnight. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. For many people, it took a decade to it, for it to develop big enough for them to find on a scan, right? Or to start causing them pain. And you're not going to heal it in two weeks or a few, you know, a month or something. It just takes time. So I, as I started to, to just kept reading and learning and figuring out like, well, what do I need to do? I just realized I've got to keep it really simple. I got to overdose on nutrition every day. It's got to be sustainable. I didn't have money to go to alternative clinics and all this kind of stuff. Um, I, like I said, I had an integrative MD that was local that I saw a couple times a month, uh, or I was seeing him weekly for a little while getting IV vitamin C treatments, but I just, my, my, I was 26 and pretty broke, (laughs) you know, just doing the best I could to afford organic fruits and vegetables and some supplements and a few doctor's visits. And, um, I learned something so valuable during that time was I learned how to be happy I learned how to be happy when I had cancer and was broke. And when you learn how to be happy in the midst of adversity and trial, you can be happy anywhere, mm-hmm. anytime. And cancer has this way of cutting this dividing line in your life where you realize everything that matters and everything that doesn't matter. And everything that matters is like this much stuff. <laughs> And everything that doesn't matter is like this much stuff. I'm way off the camera screen, right? And I just started focusing on the things that mattered. And that was it. My life, my health, my wife, right? Keeping the bills paid. Just the core stuff, family and friends. I was a musician. So I I kind of dove back into making music and I was in the real estate business. So I was just trying to just keep, you know, keep the bills paid and all that. Um, and I just really simplified things a lot mm-hmm. in order to promote, I mean, to keep my life as stress, low stress as possible. And was having blood work done every month. I had CT scans every six months for the first few years. And I just stayed the course. Just I just kept on, kept on, kept on. And then before I knew it, it was almost five years. And I had another CT scan. No tumors. And... Then it was like, then I started to feel like, okay, I think I think I did it. I think I'm a, I think I made it, right? Because every, even my doctors were were very concerned that it was coming back mm. because young adult colon cancer is so aggressive. Yeah. And uh, and cutting out a tumor rarely cures metastatic cancer because the circulating tumor cells are already in other parts of the body. And if your body is an environment where cancer can thrive, those circulating tumor cells will find a new place to form a new tumor or more. And usually it's the liver. That's where they go next after colon cancer. And, um, and so after the five-year mark, I've, you know, during that whole time, even though I was hardcore about health, I wasn't talking about what I was doing with anybody. I didn't have a blog. I wasn't on Facebook, right? I was just, all I wanted to do was survive. Mm-hmm. Um, one part of the story I've got to tell that is it's just kind of a really sweet part of the story that I just skipped over is that uh, a few months after the diagnosis, you know, was I was realizing, I mean, as I was thinking about my life and my future, and I was wondering how much time I had left to live. And I, you know, 
I I just began thinking, I gosh, I really want to be a dad. And so I asked my wife, like, if she would consider us getting pregnant, right? And she made what I think is one of the most courageous decisions of anybody I know. Because she said yes. She said yes to have a baby with me, not knowing if I was even going to be around to help her raise that child. And I mean, even I can't even hardly tell the story without getting choked up because it just it was just such a sweet and wonderful sacrificial thing that she loved me that much, right? That she was willing to do that. And so we got pregnant right away. Like it, it, I think the first time we tried, it was like, oh, we did it. And uh, so a year after I was, had had the colon cancer surgery, I was back in the hospital. But this time I was holding a beautiful little baby girl. <laughs> and now I had something else to live for, mm-hmm. right? And so when I was talking about, you know, the things that mattered, right? My wife, this baby on the way, now now this baby who has arrived. And that was it, right? That was what I was focused on. And I, I wasn't telling anybody what I was doing or, you know, writing a book. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. But after the five-year mark, I just started to have this nagging feeling that, okay, well, I didn't die. I'm alive. My doctors are saying, looks like you're probably in the clear. I thought, I, I feel like I should, you know, I can't just keep this a secret. I should share this. There's people that would probably want to know what I did and maybe it could help some people and encourage them, inspire them. And, and so I started thinking about well, what should I do? How could I be helpful? And it took me about a year and a half to to decide to start a blog. So I started a blog, Chris Beat Cancer, 2010. And I just, you know, started, didn't know how to write. <laughs> Never written anything uh, except for college papers. And I don't think any of them were any good. But I started writing blog posts and just like trying to share my story, like talk about what I'd learned. And I'd learned a ton. And I was just writing articles about juicing and and fruit, fruits and vegetables. And, uh, you know, just just trying to be helpful to, to people out there that I felt like were probably in the same boat as me, mm-hmm. you know, when I was diagnosed, that they were looking for answers. They, were, they, weren't, they, they weren't satisfied with just doing what the doctor said. They wanted to do more, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't about like, don't do chemo, do this instead. It was just about, hey, like there's more you can do to help yourself. And like, let me show you what I've learned. So I started this blog and then I started um, making videos and writing articles and just just communicating what I was passionate about. And uh, people started coming out of the woodwork. I mean, it was crazy. I didn't realize how many people were, were looking for this information at the time, but they were just started coming to me like crazy, f- finding the blog, commenting, sending me messages. Like Some of them were sending messages saying, hey, I love your story. I healed my cancer too. I had breast cancer in 1984 and and I, uh, you know, went all natural and healed. And I'm like, what? what? Like, can I interview you? Can I tell your story? And they, a lot of them said yes. So then I started interviewing other people who had healed because I realized right away, like this, this isn't about me at all. 
this is a huge, this is a much bigger thing than me. Yeah. My site's called Chris beat cancer. It sounds like it's all about me, but it's not at all. I mean, almost all the content on the site now is me interviewing other people who've healed with nutrition and natural non-toxic therapies and, and the best interview stories. And I've got a ton of them are people who, you know, they just said no to all treatment and healed, which is like amazing, right? It's proof the body can heal if it's given the right proper nutrition and care. And then others who went through all, all the treatments and they failed and they still end up, ended up healing themselves mm-hmm. once they took their power back and took control of their situation. So, you know, anyway, there's, I don't, I think we're approaching 60, 70 interviews on the site now with people like that. Um, but it just grew over time and I just kept doing it. And then after doing it five years as a part-time passion, I, I was able to just finally quit real estate, which I didn't care about at all. And just focus on what I really cared about, which was just sharing the message of hope and healing that, you know, we know what's creating cancer. We know what causes it. If you empower yourself with knowledge, you can prevent, reduce your risk so low, right? There's no guarantees you'll never get cancer, but you can drop your risk significantly with your diet and lifestyle choices. And you can increase your odds of survival, healing, preventing a recurrence, et cetera, if you have cancer now. Mm-hmm. And so that's my, you know, that's my mission. That's what I try to help people do. It's not, um, and my book, thank you for mentioning it. Yeah, Chris Beat Cancer. The book tells my story, but it also, there's a section in there that really does talk very frankly about the, the pitfalls and perils of conventional treatment because they're not hearing this from the doctor. They're not hearing this stuff in the, in major media. And in order to make an informed decision, you need to know the benefits and the risks of treatment before you say yes. And most patients, like I said earlier, they're not told anything. They don't know. They have no idea what they're getting into. And all they ask, the questions they ask are, am I going to lose my hair? Is this going to make me sick? Uh, is, can I still eat ice cream? You know, I mean, they don't, <laughs> they don't know what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And I created a guide called 20 Questions for Your Oncologist. It's on my site. It's a free download. Anybody who goes there can just see it. It's right in the sidebar. And that is a powerful list of questions that every patient should ask. And they don't have to ask every question in the list, but there's some in there that are so specific and when you ask the right questions, you get answers that will completely change, the, you know, your your perspective on your situation. One of them would be is the question that is never asked, uh, unless they read my guide, <laughs> which is, is this treatment palliative or curative? And the difference is, palliative chemo is just given to maybe reduce the tumor temporarily to quote, improve quality of life or extend life. But the doctor knows there's no way this is going to cure this patient. That's palliative care, palliative chemo. And radiation can be given palliatively as well. Uh, And then there's curative where when they, they have good evidence and a good track record for this type of cancer, this combination of drugs has a very high success rate. So like with childhood leukemia, for example, chemotherapy treatments have a very high success rate. Uh, Same with some lymphomas and testicular cancer. So those type cancers respond very well to chemo and they have 10 year survival rates that are 90% or better. But solid tumor cancers like breast, brain, colon, liver, lung, ovarian, cervical, pancreatic, um, don't have very good survival rates. 
And in fact, the overall death rate for most solid tumor cancers has only changed about 5% in 60 years. So that's stuff people need to know, right? (laughs) They need to know these things um, before they say yes to treatment. So I'll talk about that in the book. And then I talk about, you know, exactly what I did to change my life. The nutrition, the mindset, the attitude, diet and lifestyle changes, um, stress, all of that. Well, Chris, that's an amazing story. And I think, you know, actually you answered so many questions that I had written out (laughs) to ask you. But I think one of the things that I love that you pointed out is that the journey wasn't like this clear cut thing for you, you know, because, you know, you read your story on your website, you might hear some people might have heard your story and it, it does seem like it's one of those things Hey, you got cancer, you got the surgery and you changed your diet and Hey, it's all good. But you talk about going through the fear, going through the anxiety, going through that, that place of unknown. And, you know, you were, you were diagnosed in 2003 I can't even imagine what it was like. I mean, nobody even probably knew the word vegan back there, much less raw, like nobody was doing that. So that was a really crazy unknown place. So I'm just really impressed that you had the courage to pursue that and to feel that it was going to help cure you and get you to a better place. But one thing I want to step back all the way to the beginning, before your diagnosis, what was your diet like before you were diagnosed with cancer? Do you feel like it was pretty extreme standard American diet? Like, were you kind of like a very processed food person or were you just kind of like regular sort of standard American diet eater? I was a junk food connoisseur. I ate, I've always been thin. So I, I eat whatever I want, right? I always ate whatever I wanted, bacon and eggs, of course. Uh, I loved barbecue, barbecue, Memphis is barbecue town. So I'm eating barbecue sandwiches all the time, ribs all the time. I'm always eating McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, KFC. Like I was on the go entrepreneur, high stress, like eating fast food for lunch every day. And also many days for dinner. And breakfast was like, you know, some microwave Jimmy Dean sausage biscuits and, you know, cereal or you just yogurt. It just was like tons of meat and dairy, tons of fast food, tons of processed food, tons of like, you know, Dr. Peppers and Cokes and whatever I wanted. I just, I just ran on junk food and processed food and, and, and animal foods. And at Uh, that time, was there ever part of you that felt like, eh, Maybe I should change my diet or no. like, no, this is fine. Well, the funny thing is I actually worked at a, a, at a wild oats. Do you remember wild oats? I worked at a wild oats in college. So I knew about healthy stuff and my mom was a health, kind of a health nut in the eighties and nineties as I was growing up, but she wasn't at the level of health nuts today, right? She wasn't that hardcore. She just like, she liked to take supplements. She read a lot of healthy books. She would buy like the peanut butter you have to stir up, right? And we always had like some sprouts in the fridge or some kefir, you know, but she wasn't a vegan or vegetarian or anything like that. She just wasn't hardcore like that. But I at least knew there was a world of holistic health because of my mom. And like she went to chiropractors and stuff and whatever. Um, and then I, 
worked at a wild oats. So I was, a, I worked in a grocery store that sold organic food and had this, you know, big supplement department and natural living department. And it was all about that. So I was very aware of that world and I, I liked it. Like I thought it was cool, but it was, it was expensive to live and eat that way. So, I mean, I didn't, and I didn't have a big motivation to do it either. Cause I didn't have any health problems. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't until the, the cancer wake up call that I really started thinking about when you're young, you feel invincible, right? And so until I realized I wasn't, and then I realized, oh, my diet might be actually the reason I'm, I have cancer. Yeah. And it's, you know, most people don't have this problem until they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, but I don't know, got me early, you know, yeah. that can be a genetic factor, right? Where you're more vulnerable, right? But um, genes don't, you're, you know, you're, the genes load the gun, right? Your diet and lifestyle pull the trigger. Exactly. That's the deal. And so even if someone has a, a genetic, a, you know, the breast cancer gene or whatever, um, that doesn't guarantee they'll get breast cancer. Your, your genes don't determine your fate. Your choices determine your fate. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you know, something else you said I wanted to comment on. I'm so glad you, first of all, thank you for saying, you know, you felt like I was being, I was courageous or whatever. But the thing about courage is courage feels like fear. That's what courage feels like. So at no point does anyone ever feel courageous. You never feel brave. You never feel courageous. What you feel is fear. You're afraid. And courage is merely the decision to move forward mm-hmm. in spite of your fear. Yep. And, and to me, you know, there was no retreat, right? There wasn't an option to run away. <laughs> you know, it was fear in, in front of me and fear behind me. There, there was no escaping the fear, right? It's not like I was in battle and I could run and hide and, and escape. And so I was just stuck in the middle of a, a scary situation. And I, I, yes, I did make a decision to take control of my health and and radically changed my life. But honestly, it didn't feel courageous. It just felt like the smartest thing to do. It felt like the my best chance at survival. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my decision was very, uh, almost just logical, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, just I'm logically thinking, okay, plan A and plan B. Plan B is overdose on nutrition, change your whole life, support your body's ability to repair and regenerate and detoxify and heal. Right? Give it as much good stuff as you possibly can or take chemotherapy, which is highly toxic and poisonous and is going to cause a lot of collateral damage in your body and make you really sick and your hair falls out and you lose even more weight than you've already lost. I was 130 pounds, 6'2 at that point. Oh. So, I mean, I was scary skinny. Like, and I'm like, I, nothing about this sounds good to me. Right. So again, yeah, it doesn't, it's nice. It's nice to be thought of as courageous, but I promise you, it didn't, I didn't feel courageous. No, No, but I think that that's super important to point out because it it doesn't feel good to feel fear, obviously. And so when people feel fear, they want to get rid of it as soon as possible and just make a decision and then just go with it. But I think it's important for people to know that, that there is fear involved, but I like what you said earlier in the conversation, which was 
it's very difficult to make decisions when you're pretty much completely doused in fear. And I tell that to my, my patients and my families all the time. Um, this comes up a lot when talking about vaccines because there's so much fear on both sides and mm -hmm. very difficult to make a decision when it's a completely fear-based decision. So I'm really happy that, that you're talking about it this way so that people know the reality of the situation when you're faced with something um, like cancer. There's two things I wanna point out. One that you said about this, this lean bias is that we have this bias in our society that people that are thin are automatically healthy, um, which we don't have like a huge number of thin people anymore. So maybe we don't see that as much, but I think that that's very important to- Less than a third. <laughs> the minority. Um, but it's important that no matter what your body size is to know that what you're putting in your body, how you're living your life is really what determines the health of your insides. It's yeah. not your size or your shape. You know, that might be a small part of it, but whether you're lean or you're overweight, according to our BMI scales or that kind of thing, you can be healthy if you're doing the right things. So it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be unhealthy if you're overweight. It also doesn't guarantee that you're going to be healthy if you're lean, if you're, if you're not taking care of some of those lifestyle habits that are very important. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I was genetically lean, right? And unhealthy, obviously. Um, and I think being thin is typically a byproduct of healthy living. I mean, we see that people that really do make great choices are typically thin or normal size or whatever trim. But but yeah, but it thin thinness in and of itself does not mean does not equal health. Right. It's not the protective factor necessarily. And then the other thing with colon cancer, um, something that probably, I don't think I've talked about this a lot, but my inspiration to go into medicine was actually my aunt who was a physician in Panama. She died of colon cancer when she mm. was 43 metastatic to her liver. And that's young. And, yeah. Um, and she had already, that was like her, her recurrence of cancer of the colon cancer that came back. And I think that the studies are showing that it's happening in people younger and younger. So this is a trend we're going to start seeing. We're going to start seeing more people in their 20s and 30s diagnosed with colon cancer. It's already so happening. We, so we know that it is, it's something that's changing in our environment, something changing about the way we're living, what we're eating. And like you said before, there's multiple factors. And I do want to remove the shame and the blame and the guilt associated and just focus on more the empowerment. And have people know, just like you said before, that they do have a choice, they do have control, and they can start taking control, even if they feel like they have this crazy rare mutation in their genes, and they would have gotten cancer regardless, you can start doing things today and right now that will help you start to feel better and decrease your risk of either recurrence or increase your risk of survival, regardless of how that cancer started. So yep. this very point, feeling empowered and feeling like you can do something right now to take charge and to take control. I think that that's a really important message that I, I know that you're trying to get out to people as well. It's huge. So important. I mean, the plant-based diet is, is one of the best things you can do for yourself just right off the bat. Um, and I, yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent, you know, it's not about making people uh, blaming them or uh, making them ashamed of themselves or feel bad about themselves. Um, but personal responsibility is, uh, is about empowerment, right? And you're, 
what I what I'm trying to do, right, is first of all give people a shake and a wake up to when I say, hey, the way you're living is killing you. Okay. Right. It's a little bit of a wake up, but this is not to make you feel bad. This is this is good news. This is good news because you can change your life. Exactly. And the choices you make and the changes you make can have a huge impact on your health. Mm-hmm. So it's good news. Don't feel bad about yourself. Don't kick yourself, about, beat yourself up about your past. Like it's gone. It's over. It's done. Right. Like what we've got is right now today. Like how can you take care of yourself right now? What can you do today to like support your body's ability to heal? And, and so, yeah, I'm, I, I am, that's just what I'm all about. I'm all about just encouraging people, inspiring them, empowering them, giving them information they can use to change their life and then interviewing them and, and sharing their success stories when they heal. <laughs> and there's so many, I think once you start, especially when you become part of this community, you realize that it's not just a rarity. There are so many people that have healed themselves, not just from cancer, but other diseases that they were told they're end stage terminal. Um, I mean, this is, this is really, really powerful people. I just want you to understand that there is more than just Chris out there. I'm glad that you're telling your story, but there's a lot of people. I want to shift gears a little bit because I know we're going over time, but uh, I want to ask you, since you do have, you have two girls now, right? You have two daughters. Given your experience and your diagnosis, how did you raise them in a way that you felt would benefit them for their health? Did you take that like, was that one of those things that you took to heart from the very beginning that I want to take steps to prevent something like this from happening in my own children? Yeah. We, you know, we just focus on feeding them really good food and that's a big, big, you know, part of our household is eating lots of fruits and vegetables, plant-based diet. They're not pure vegans. They have permission to eat whatever they want. You know, they go to friend's house or whatever, like, and the, the good news is, is they make pretty good choices. My, my daughters are 13 and 10 now. And they're, they love fruits and vegetables. They eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. Um, but they do, you know, they like little sugary treats and junk food too, right? And so uh, th- those foods in their proper place, which is as a tiny, tiny fraction of a, of a kid's diet, I don't see harm in them, mm-hmm. right? What we have now is we have an obesity em- epidemic in the United States and especially in children, there are more obese children today than there ever have been because these kids are eating junk food, processed food, and way too much meat and dairy three times a day. And it's just, it's crazy, right? It's absolutely crazy. And so, um, so yeah, you know, we're very open with my kids. They know my story. I've, you know, they always hear me doing interviews and telling it. They can probably tell it better than me. Um, but yeah, we just try to focus on feeding them really good at home. And then when they're out in the world at grandma's house or friend's house, they can make their own decisions and eat what they want. It's fine. Like we didn't want to be helicopter parents where we're trying to tell all the other parents what they're allowed to eat, what they're not allowed to eat, you know, stuff like that. It's just, I don't think that's a very healthy thing. It's just going to make them want to rebel, (laughs) you know, with junk food. And it's not the reality of the world because most people don't eat this way. So it's, it's, good, I think, from the beginning to allow them to practice making those decisions for themselves. And we've talked about this before, whenever you interviewed me, and I, and um, that's something I believe in, too. So are you still mostly doing a lot of juicing? Or what is your diet like now? Yeah, I, um, I eat a plant based diet. It's about 98 to 99% plant based. So I'm not a pure vegan, not a vegetarian. Um, I, I don't really 
I just kind of have a personal issue with dietary identities. And so I don't want to like be something. I just want to be me. And I'm happy to talk about the way I eat, right? Um, because there's so much baggage that comes along with calling yourself a vegan or vegetarian or whatever. I, so I just avoid those terms. And I just, and I still have freedom to have, you know, if I feel like, you know, you know I've had, I had, I'll have some fish like maybe once or twice a month, you know. So I have a little bit of animal protein in my diet here and there, but it's very, very low. Um, I eat typically one raw meal a day and it might be a giant smoothie or a giant salad. And then um, beyond that, we just keep it really simple. I love oatmeal for breakfast and then like smoothie for lunch or big salad for lunch. And then my wife will make a variety of vegetables for dinner. So um, we might have um, sweet potatoes, black beans, quinoa, collard greens, salad, uh, always some kind of legumes, uh, lots of tubers. So last night we had, um, she cooked uh, yellow beets. Um, oh, I'm just trying to picture it. There were sweet potatoes in there. There were black beans, avocado, like kind of like a bowl, like a, what do they call it? I don't know. A bowl. <laughs> Huh? Like a Buddha bowl? Like a Buddha bowl. Yes, thank you. It's got like a Buddha bowl, exactly. And uh, and it was great. It's great. It was delicious. Made me happy. Uh, and that's the way we do it. So we just kind of mix it up at dinner and she takes care of dinners. And then I just I make my kind of the same thing every day for breakfast and lunch and just keep it really simple. And then I'll have, I have about right now as juicing goes, I average probably about one juice a day, like about 16 ounces of juice a day. So I was drinking 64 ounces a day wow. in my hardcore anti-cancer healing days several, like for several years. Uh, but now, yeah, I just love to have a green juice or a carrot juice or some kind of carrot, beet, apple, you know, lemon, ginger combination. And I just mix it up. Yeah. It sounds very, very uh, sustainable, very simple. It doesn't have to be anything crazy gourmet. So that sounds great. So what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Hmm. That's good. Um, so I don't know if the plant-based diet counts as a personal habit, but I'm definitely, I, I I'm going to say, I'm not going to do the diet thing. I would say probably my exercise routine. I'm, I'm really proud of that. I've stuck with it. And because it's made such a huge transformation, I mean, eating healthy makes a huge transformation in your body internally, but exercise makes a huge transformation externally, so to speak, right? And internally, but in terms of the, I'm the strongest I've ever been. I'm the most fit. I have the most endurance. Like I'm in my, the best physical shape of my life at 41. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's because I, I just, I love to do CrossFit type stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I just, you know, three to three to six days a week. Uh, at the end, my routine is at the end of the workday. So usually at the end of my workday is around 4.30, 5.30. I go to the gym and, uh, and I've been doing that for about five years because before that I really was just sporadic and wasn't consistent. So yeah, I'm really proud of that. I'm just proud because I, I can, I've just come a long way um, physically. And, um, and on the diet side, uh, I've I've kind of been all over the map. I've experimented with all kinds of diets since I got well. So mm -hmm. plant-based diets, what I use to heal. But then after that, I, you know, I kind of got sucked into the Weston Price thing and the raw milk thing and the paleo thing. Like I went down all these rabbit holes, just like investigating, exploring, trying to figure, well, you know, maybe this is better. You know, lots of people have compelling arguments, don't they? 
And after going down pretty much every dietary rabbit hole I could find, I, I, I just circled back to the plant-based diet because it, it's the, it really is the healthiest diet for humans. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much science behind it. Um, so, uh, so anyway, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Well, that's, that's cool that you feel like the exercise is really just set in and become this really consistent habit. Are you still rebounding? I love the rebounder. Yeah. I've got a, you know, there's small trampolines. Mm -hmm. So love to get on that. Um, you know, first thing in the morning, Mm -hmm. just get on it for 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, a little bit. Yeah. Wake up. It's get out, take it, you know, take it outside in the fresh air and sunshine. Uh, yeah. Love rebounding. And, uh, I just recommend it all the time. <laughs> it's great because a lot of people, a lot of people that aren't in any good in aren't in physical shape at all, um, can do it because it's so low impact and it moves your lymphatic system. If you, you can do it with enough intensity to get your heart pumping and, and get kind of get some heavy breathing going if you want, or you can do it very low intensity and just move your lymph system. So mm-hmm. the rebounder is just wonderful for pretty much any, for any person at any level of physical, um, what what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Uh, abilities. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we have one too. And when I first got it, I when I started using it, I would just giggle the whole time because it just felt so good. You feel like a little kid on it. Yeah. And now we keep it in the living room so that my kids, they're just always on and off of it and just for a few minutes here and there. It's better than nothing, I think, to have it. Yes. It's a good symbol of movement and getting movement in. So we bought, we actually bought our kids a full size trampoline, uh, which is, awesome. Uh, and that was, I don't even think we've had it a year. I can't remember when we bought it, but yes, like sometime in the last year, but yeah. So now we have like a full size trampoline in the backyard. That's even better. Cause I can do flips on it and stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, pediatricians, we get a little bit nervous when we hear about trampolines. So you might've seen my eye twitching a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Too many broken arms come in. Yeah, lots of injuries, but I'm sure you guys will be very safe with it. So we've got a, it does have a big net around it. So that, that helps. They're way safer than they were when we were kids. I know. Well, my my uh, husband always talks about stories about like jumping off the roof onto the. I mean, like kids invent all kinds of crazy things to do that they shouldn't do on trampolines. So yeah, that's that's probably where the problems come in. All right, Chris, this has been a great conversation. I want to close out with giving you a little bit of time if you wanted to talk about your Square One Healing Cancer Coaching Program and also how listeners can connect with you. Yeah, that's great. Well, you can find me on pretty much most social media channels, Chris Beat Cancer, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, the I created a course for cancer patients. So like my book comes out this month, which is just great for anybody. Um, and I just, I hope you'll, you'll buy it. Hope you'll read it. Um, for, for anyone that wants like more intensive, uh, coaching, then I have a program called square one, which is a a 10 hour video coaching program that I just uh, take people who are either trying to heal cancer or prevent a recurrence, or they're just really serious about prevention and just kind of take them through all the diet and lifestyle changes that I made just step by step, just teach them how to do it at home. And, um, and so, yeah, it's just an intensive program that, that, um, I first put out there in 2016 after coaching tons of people one-on-one and obviously living through my own thing and studying uh, tons of cancer patients who'd healed themselves as well. And I just kind of organized all that information into something that's very clear and concise that anybody can do. And there's information about that on my site as well. Um, if somebody's interested, but the book is just a perfect, you know, like introduction to, uh, radical life change, cancer prevention and healing, like things that you can do 
um, to help yourself because there's so much. I mean, that's yeah. the good news. There's so much we can do. And it's um, unfortunately, we've um, there, there's so many factors, but unfortunately, most of us don't realize that the simple things are the most powerful things. Mm-hmm. Diet, exercise, and stress, mm-hmm. right? And to a lesser degree, environmental pollution and environmental toxins. But those are the big factors that are contributing to health and disease. And making small changes can really produce big results and making massive changes produces massive results. So either way, like there's stuff you can change in your life that will help you. So (laughs) my goal is to try to help. Awesome. Well, you're doing great work. So thank you so much for everything that you do. And thank you for being on Veggie Doctor Radio today. I'll be sure to put links to all your social media and a link to your website where they can find the Square One program and learn more about your book that will soon be released. I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much. This has been fun. Been great. Have a fantastic day, Chris. (laughs) You too. Bye-bye. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocketsurgeonsmusic. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at VeggieFitKids on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, or you can email me at VeggieDoctor at VeggieFitKids.com. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast, and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again, and have a plantastic day. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com podcast. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said. Done.